When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Green light 3-0 and she's gone! Welcome to The 3-0 Show, part of The Athletic Baseball Show. Derek Mariper here with Richard Rolli. It is Thursday, June 16th. On this episode, we will discuss... Juan Soto and his long-term future with the Nats, possibly somewhere else. We'll talk about a setback for Steven Strasburg and his latest bid to come back and be the amazing Steven Strasburg. Might be a little while longer before we get a chance to see him even attempt that again. We get some injury updates to pass along. It seems like the Mets are starting to get healthy at just the right time with some extra heat from Atlanta and Philadelphia. Uh, I have a growing fear for White Sox fans, Britt, that the White Sox might be this year's Padres. They are snake bit by injuries. They've had a lot of stuff going wrong throughout the first half. Obviously, a lot of baseball to play. We'll dig into that. And then we're going to talk about the Rangers, a second place team that you rarely think about, which is not the best way to sell a team. But I do think there are more interesting players in Texas, maybe a more interesting team there than people are giving them credit for. So we'll dig into that. We'll also try to have some fun with numbers. And if there's time, we'll make a bronze metal prediction for the nl central yeah we think it's cardinals brewers brewers cardinals at the top but who's actually taking third in the nl central this year we'll save that for the end though because of all of our topics that's the one that i'm admittedly the least excited about but i want to start with juan soto he is probably okay after the the little scare with the knee injury earlier this week the bigger question is there are rumors about trading him you debunked those last week. I think I'm with you. I think those are ridiculous as far as in-season trades go this year, especially. The bigger question to me is, are the Nationals going to make that long-term commitment to him? Are they going to make him a franchise player? Are they going to make him the highest paid player in baseball? Because I think that's ultimately what it's going to take to keep him in a Nationals uniform for what could be ultimately the rest of his big league career. Yeah, so I think what makes this tough to answer is the fact that the Nationals are selling. So we don't know what ownership group we're talking about. So I think if the Lerner family was going to stay in DC, we'd have a better picture of, okay, historically they have paid pitchers. They haven't played position players. Um, And we can kind of lean a little bit on precedent. Uh, We can look at the payrolls that they've had and say, can they afford to pay Juan Soto and still field a competitive team around him? But The learners have one foot out the door. They're trying to sell this team. This is an organization in flux from these very top levels on down. Mike Rizzo, Davey Martinez um, have options for next season. Nobody really knows the direction of this organization. So I think it's almost impossible to say what's going to happen with Juan Soto in terms of DC. And, And I went on a podcast yesterday and was asked this same question. And, you know, if you were to tell me that a Steve Cohen was going to buy the Nationals, a a guy like that with those spending habits, you feel a lot better about that, right? But you just don't know what you're going to get here. And I think it makes it a lot tougher to say definitively one way or the other. I think by this time next year, 
we'll have a much clearer picture of who ownership is, of what direction they're going. And if the Nationals as a team aren't headed in the right direction, I think Juan Soto could be a guy they would trade next July at the deadline. But as for this year, they're kind of just in limbo. They are very much a team kind of floating through this season, as sad as that is to say. And I think it doesn't seem unrealistic to me that if you have Juan Soto, you have you know once-in-a-decade type player, and then maybe... I don't think it's controversial at all to look at what he's done to this point in his young career and say he's laying the foundation of being a Hall of Famer someday. That's what he has done so far. As hitters go, his early career projections are more in line with players like Mike Trout and Albert Pujols and Miguel Cabrera. Players like that rarely become available at this age. I think it almost makes more sense if they are going to trade, if they're not going to make a long-term commitment because of the the uncertainty with ownership, because of the uncertainty in the front office. Do it this offseason when you have the entire league in a position to make their best possible offer for him. You will absolutely max out the return when you have 29 other teams. Well, we know it's not really 29, but when you have every other possible buyer out there throwing everything at you, to get Juan Soto and then probably extend him. That to me seems like the sweet spot to max out the long-term value. And I think the future in DC, it's not particularly bright. They're in a, an extra difficult spot just because this organization is not packed with young talent right now. They're finally at the success hangover phase of their winning from a few years ago, right? Like it, this happens to most teams. You win a world series, your core gets old, players get more expensive, and usually, you have to press reset. And they're kind of living in that space right now. And Soto's the kind of player that I think you're not wrong to make the 12-year commitment to. Like, if there's anyone you're going to give a 12-year contract to, he's at or near the top of that list. But they have to do so many other things and change so many other things about this organization before they're going to win again. That's what I think makes this more complicated than just, is he worth 12 years and 450 million or whatever the final numbers end up being. Yeah. So are you assuming this winter that new ownership has taken control? Because I also think there's an element of why would the Lerner family want to be known in Washington Nationals history as the ownership group that traded away Juan Soto? Why would Mike Rizzo want to be known as the GM if he's not staying past this ownership group that traded away Juan Soto? So I think that's another complicated factor here, right? I don't know how quick the sale is going to go. But if the learners are still in place, I'd be very surprised if they said, yeah, let's explore trading Juan Soto because what does it matter to them at that point in time? Um, They're just protecting their own legacy. And keep in mind, this is an ownership group that said to Mike Rizzo, you cannot trade Bryce Harper. They wanted to trade Bryce Harper. And before Mike Rizzo wanted to trade him before he hit free agency and was just going to walk, the Mm. learner family said no. So there is some precedent for them to keep a star, it also makes them a more attractive team to ownership groups, many who fall in love with stars. I mean, you look at D.C., Ted Leonsis, um, who owns the Wizards, um, you know, he owns the Capitals. He, he's in love with stars. Many owners want to buy a team with a star. It makes the Nationals a more attractive purchase. So while I agree on paper that, yeah, let's wait till the offseason, I still don't really see that happening unless there's a, a new ownership group in place for kind of a, a myriad of reasons. That seems like a pretty fast timetable to make that change mm-hmm. too, right? I mean, it's June 15th already. So if this is going to happen, it's going to be 
middle of the summer. It's 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 more like weeks or a couple of months if they're actually going to make it happen and then have that sort of clarity going into this offseason. So really difficult times. And I think it's compounded by something like Steven Strasburg just not being healthy right now. He signed through 2026. And I'm not going to rag on the Nationals for giving Strasburg a long-term deal. I want to see players get paid. Steven Strasburg, when healthy, for most of his career, has been this sort of must-see TV, that kind of grade pitcher. That's who he has been when healthy. I know that it is a massive condition right there when healthy he's he's got one of the most extensive injury histories of any pitcher i've ever seen it's amazing that he's still trying to come back he didn't look like himself when we saw him pitch last week that was against the marlins went back on the injured list has a stress reaction in his ribs so it's going to be probably another couple of months before we see him back but should we hold out hope that through all of these injuries, we will one day see a healthy-ish Steven Strasburg again, that we could have this, this late career renaissance of sorts where maybe he's not exactly the same guy he was at his peak, but he's at least out there every fifth day as a, a crafty version of himself? So I want to say yes here because I hate being kind of the Debbie Downer, but I just don't see... I think the 2019 Steven Strasburg... Um, who really carried that team, who was a big part of them winning the World Series, you're never going to see that guy again. Um, his body has failed him so many times since then. We are now in 2022, and he really hasn't been able to pitch since that 2019 World Series. So that deal at the time, it was either Anthony Rendon or Steven Strasburg. And to be fair, Anthony Rendon has been hurt quite a lot out with the Angels, so it didn't look like either deal really is going to work out. But this could easily be one of the worst free agent contracts in baseball history. It could easily be one of the worst ones in nationals history. Um, you know, they have rewarded pitchers before Max Scherzer was, was a contract that was panned when they got him and ended up being one of the biggest deals in recent memory for a free agent starter. But Steven Strasburg has been a guy, as you mentioned, who's always been injury prone. So as he gets older and as the time that he's been really dominant gets farther and farther away, I just don't know what's keeping the optimism going, right? He shut down again. Davey Martinez says they hope to see him. There's no timeline. The Nationals are not good. What is the rush for him to come back? I fear maybe we don't see him again this season. And then we're going into 2023. I mean, how many years is this guy going to kind of largely be on the shelf? Um, it just feels like it's one thing after another with him. And I just don't have a whole lot of confidence that we're going to see the, the vintage Steven Strasburg again. It's the mix of, of wear and tear and bad luck, kind of both of those things. And the decision to extend a pitcher with the injury history he had, even at that time, it was it was very risky, to, to put it mildly. I didn't think it would go this poorly. This was mm -hmm. always a possibility. It always is with a pitcher. It's just such a disappointment because there's so much to like about Strasburg when everything is going well. So tough times in D.C., just a team that doesn't have a ton of long-term talent on the big league roster right now. Turnover coming probably at multiple levels and lots of quality teams right now in that division. It seems like it could be a rough couple of years overall for this franchise. Let's talk about the Mets for just a couple of minutes. It seems like they are getting healthy at a time when Pressure is coming. Atlanta playing really well right now. The Phillies, ever since making the change, 
letting Joe Girardi go and installing Rob Thompson as their manager. They're mostly a different team, still have some issues in the bullpen to address, but they're getting great results. They're hitting the way we expect them to. That's been the big part of, of their turnaround. But Scherzer, it seems like, has a chance to maybe get back a little sooner than expected from that oblique injury. Yeah, he had that PRP injection, and he's what they call a fast healer, right? Um, multiple athletic trainers that I've talked to over the years have said that nobody knows his body as well as Max Scherzer. So he, he was always going to be a guy who pushed that timeline, in my mind. Um, he's going to be a guy that knows when he's right, and when he's right, he's going to come back, and he's going to push it hard, and he's going to be the the grunting, screaming, swearing Max Scherzer that we all know and love to watch, right? Um, so I do think that that's a really positive development. Obviously, with Degrom, there's always that sense of it's. It, I don't want to call it Strasburg esque because it's to a much lesser degree, but there is always that sense of is he going to have a setback? Is he going to come back and re-injure himself? I think with Scherzer, that kind of worry is decidedly lower. But what's been crazy about the Mets is they go on this West Coast road trip, and all these Mets fans were, were super worried because they have a really tough June schedule. And they come out of that West Coast road trip with a winning record. And yeah, it wasn't, you know, the same pace as the Braves or the same pace they had earlier this year. But to do it without Scherzer and DeGrom, which a bunch of other guys getting beat up. Um, you hear you heard Steve Cohen tell the New York Post yesterday that he hasn't ruled anything out in terms of trade deadline acquisitions. I mean, the Mets are going to keep their foot on the gas here. And I know the Braves are coming and they're coming hard, but you saw Chris Bassett. Um, eight really strong innings last night. Um, he's a guy who really has kind of kept that rotation together, I think. It's been underrated. Um, you know, everyone looks at Taiwan Walker and Carlos Carrasco as well. But Bassett, to me, was the real key in making sure things didn't fall apart. He kind of became the de facto ace without Scherzer and DeGrom. And those two took up so much of the press early on. But the addition of Bassett, had they not had Chris Bassett, I think we'd be sitting here looking at more of a neck-and-neck neck race between them and the Braves. Yeah, I think Bassett's definitely among the things that have gone right. And I just think that scoring more runs consistently has been a big part of the Mets so far this year, too. Bassett leads this team in innings so far this season. Did hit a bit of a, a rough stretch before turning things around last time out against the Brewers on Tuesday night. They're catching the Brewers at the exact right time. Last week on the 3-0 show, we were talking about teams that are were flying high but might be destined to have that that slide that the Angels and Phillies were going through. The Brewers, it turns out, are that team. They have really had some issues with injuries. They've had uh, just a couple of, of really bad series where their offense has quieted down quite a bit. So they need to get out of a tailspin, and they're, they're trying to do it against the Mets, who are really a juggernaut right now. This team, you know, without Scherzer and without DeGrom, has held its own so much better than I expected. I thought this was going to be a total disaster without those guys. Bassett's part of it. Tyler McGill being healthy again certainly goes a long way. And I think this is a bullpen that's also been a little more stable than I expected. I liked a lot of the names they had. I thought when Trevor May went down, that was going to hurt him quite a bit. But so far, this is a bullpen that has been better at protecting leads than I would have projected them to be just a couple months ago. Yeah, and Diaz has been a guy they haven't been afraid to go to for four or five out saves. I think that's been important as well. He's largely held up. You mentioned the lineup, and I'm glad you did because they lowered their strikeout rate so much from last season. Um, they're up in batting average on balls in play. Uh, you know, they've really done a good job, I think, of changing the approach. The lineup got better, certainly personnel wise, but I think it was Francisco Lindor who said recently that, like, 
They're not taught. They're not worried about launching balls into the air. They just want to make contact. And you're seeing the benefits of that. And Eno has talked about it a lot that teams that don't strike out a lot do really well in the postseason. Teams that put the ball in play can be pesky. And the Mets have been very pesky up and down that lineup. It's a deep lineup. I mean, they didn't have a spot for Dom Smith, who last year was pretty much a regular. So they have gotten a lot better in a lot of different facets. I think the addition of Buck Walter can't go unquantified. I know there's no stat for it anywhere, but he's just a guy who's not going to panic. He's been there. He's going to kind of right the ship. And you know you're not going to get outmanaged. We've already seen examples where he knows these crazy rules or loopholes, and that's going to win you games. So I think he's been a big part of kind of that culture change there as well. Yeah, I do think the the lineup construction is really important. I think we talked about it with the Astros for a long time. The Blue Jays were the example last year of a team that did a ton of damage, put a lot of runs on the board, and every at-bat, it seemed like was a tough out because they were among the best teams in the league in terms of team strikeout percentage. And that actually describes the Mets in almost every way. The only thing the Mets don't have compared to the Houston teams of recent years and even this year uh, and recent Jays teams is the power is just a little bit lighter. Some of that's the ballpark. Some of that's the lineup construction. Some of that's the ballpark. But a, a K rate under 20% for a team that's currently second in the league in WRC+. Plus, that is a dangerous offense that can score runs at any time. And it's been a very long time since we've talked about the Mets that way. So I think that's really helped them keep a decent amount of that lead despite how well Atlanta has been playing in recent weeks and even with this Phillies surge. And, and you're right. I mean, Buck Walter, it seems like the perfect fit right now for, for team and manager. Everything kind of coming up Buck early on this season, probably the early favorite for a manager of the year considerations. Probably. And I think I think we all knew the Braves were going to make a run, but I don't think anybody saw like them reeling off double-digit wins in a row, right? <laughs> this was a team that for a while hadn't won three games in a row. They were like the only team in baseball that hadn't won three games in a row for a very long time. And then all of a sudden has gotten so hot. And I think we've seen Mets teams in the past that would have just folded. You're right. They would have just totally collapsed as soon as the Braves got hot or as soon as they lost Scherzer. And we're just not seeing that. And it's hard to put a, a real thumbprint on why other than, you know, the personnel has changed. I think Eduardo Escobar, another underrated clubhouse guy, Starling Marte, they got guys who could play, but they also got really, really good guys in there. And I just think it's like a veteran group, especially with Buck at the helm, that just isn't going to panic. Anybody who thought that the NL East uh, was over, you know, I got news for you. I think we're going to see a really interesting race down the stretch. I do. I think the Braves are just starting to get dangerous. Uh, they're obviously heating up and it's going to make some for some really, really good games later this summer. Yeah. And I think the big thing too, just talking about the other team trying to make a run right now in the division with the Phillies, Corey Knable just removed as closer. What else are they really going to do? Like the bullpen depth has been a recurring issue in Philly. If a team needs to go out and make a trade, like right now to shore up its weakness, the Phillies need bullpen help right now. They've needed it for a while. I think if they could somehow get a, a mid to late June deal done instead of waiting another month, that would give them a chance to hang around in the division race and at least put themselves in a better position to be a wild card team this year. Because I don't know if anyone wants to, if anyone wants to really talk themselves into the Phillies being good enough to overtake both Atlanta and the Mets in division. But I think you can look at that team and say, yeah, they're good enough to go to the playoffs. And then anyone who gets there is dangerous enough to make a run and actually win 
at all. I, I think that is within range for them. Let's talk about the White Sox for a moment. It's been a tough week for the White Sox. Uh, since we last spoke, I have come to this conclusion that the White Sox might be this year's Padres, this team that is from the outside looking in, got a really fun roster, really well constructed. I think a lot of people expected them to run away with the AL Central. The Twins have obviously been very good this year. The White Sox are among the most snake-bitten teams so far this season. Injuries have been just brutal on this team. In their bullpen alone, they just lost Liam Hendricks to a forearm strain. Of course, traded away Craig Kimbrell for A.J. Pollock back in March. Garrett Crochet is hurt. Aaron Bummer's hurt. This was supposed to be a strength of this team, and now they're among the teams looking for, for help in that group, and, and that's really surprising. But then, of course, they've got tons of position players that have missed time. Eloy Jimenez taking a long time to get back from his injury. Luis Robert has missed some time uh, earlier this season. Andrew Vaughn missed some time. Tim Anderson, most recently missing time. He's on a rehab assignment now. So I think if health turns for the better, right? If they're a generally healthy team in the second half, they are still capable of winning the division and, and even passing the Twins. I'm not saying they're out of that division race, but this is the time, kind of shaky first two and a half months that can lead a team with those high hopes to underperform and possibly even miss the playoffs, which is just amazing when you think about the position they were in going into this season. Yeah, I think we keep waiting for them to get healthy, right? We've talk, I feel like we talk about this every week on the show. Well, they're going to be good when they get healthy. And then the next week, they're still not healthy or there's more new injuries. So they just can't get, you're right, to that point. The Padres is a good comp. But for me, the Padres was more about just like a total culture slide, uh, more so than injuries. I kind of think about the Twins and how they got ransacked last year and everyone thought they were going to be really good. Um, which is injury after injury, and they could never recover. They were buried early, and they could never recover. Um, I do wonder what the White Sox do at the trade deadline. Are they a team that, like the Phillies, could benefit from being proactive here and just adding now because this is slipping away? They're not buried yet, but if they wait another month, month and a half, and things aren't getting better, they are in danger of being too far back. And Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams there in that front office – um, in Chicago, have shown the ability to take big swings. They have said that they're going to be active in adding at the trade deadline. They're not going to be deterred by their record. And of course, I think teams now are looking at it like Atlanta last year. Well, if we're around 500, why can't we make a run, right? Why can't we add a couple players and make a run? And certainly if you've got the talent that the White Sox do, um, like, you know, right now stashed mostly on the IL, you do feel pretty good about that as well. So I'm curious, Derek, like if you think they go out and they make a move or two and they make it early so that they can kind of right the ship here and stop waiting out for these guys to get healthy and just say, you know what, there's no such thing as having too many good players. And I also wonder about Tony La Russa because we've seen Joe Madden fired. We've seen Joe Girardi fired. And we've already heard fire La Russa chants from White Sox fans who never really liked him anyway. So they're yeah. a fascinating team. It didn't make sense from the outside looking in. And of course, it's the relationship between Tony La Russa and Jerry Reinsdorf, owner. Uh, that's that's why Tony was the choice. And it makes even less sense now. I think most recently, the uh, decision to walk Trey Turner, give the intentional walk to Trey Turner in a one-two count after a wild pitch allowed Freddie Freeman to move from first to second in order to go lefty-lefty against Max Muncie. 
discounting everything about who Max Muncie is as a player and and the situation itself. I mean, the stats have been parroted for a week now. That was one of the most mind-boggling decisions. Like, if you needed that extra nudge to say, "Yeah, Tony Larusa had a great career as a big league manager, but he is not the kind of guy you want running a team in 2022." That was it. That was your out. That was your chance. That was your moment. If you were Jerry Reinsdorf to say, Tony's my friend, but my friend needs to just go home now. Like I need to send my friend home. Like we've all been in that situation. You're out having a good time. <laughs> One of your friends needs to go home. And if you are a good friend to that person, you get them home. You say, Hey, you know, I love you. We're going to go. We're, we're out of here. You just leave. I think that was the window to do it. They didn't yeah. do it. I don't think it's going to happen. Not during the season. I think they're going to try and ride it out like this. And is it impossible for them to to get it right with him as the manager? No, there's a lot of talent here. I, I think that's that's the truth in the matter. I would like it better if they made the move. I'm just not expecting it. They did get Lance Lynn back recently, so that gives them more depth in the rotation. You know, Dylan Cease looks really good. Giolito can be an ace when it's going right. Michael Kopech's knee injury doesn't seem to be as bad as initially feared. So there's... There are a lot of silver linings here, but I think one of the flaws with the White Sox roster from the beginning, it was improved upon this year compared to last year. Their depth never looked quite the same as a team like the Dodgers or the Mets or even the Yankees, those kind of perennial playoff teams where when a couple things go wrong, they always have quality players to fill in. It didn't look quite as good for the White Sox. They've had a couple guys step up, Jake Berger most recently, Really, I think, doing a good job with that opportunity. But you go to that next level, and it's not an inspiring group of players in general that have to step up when they do lose someone. They play Leary Garcia a lot. But that that's just not that doesn't make sense to me. He's he's a bench player on a on a playoff caliber team. Um, so all this is to say, as bad as this first half has been, they are still good. I am just worried for the sake of White Sox fans that they could be the fun team that gets left out of the party at the end of the season because of all these injuries they've had to withstand here in the first half. Let's talk about the Rangers for a moment, Britt, because they are a second-place team that people rarely think about. Like, be honest, when's the last time you thought about the Rangers? Maybe in the offseason when on this podcast we took five minutes to spend $300 million. Was that the last time you really thought about the Rangers? It was yesterday when you said, hey, on the rundown, I want to talk about the Rangers. And I was like, what? What's going on with the Rangers? Why? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Fair. So you're right. We don't talk about the Rangers really at all. And I think, well, they also got off to like a not great start, right? And so I think there was a lot of excitement this winter. And then they didn't start that well. And we were like, oh, forget the Rangers. They're, they're going to need a few more years. That's really, I think, what happened. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think this is a team that it's... Probably similar to what we saw from the Mariners last year. The best case scenario is that they're playing meaningful games with a path, but not a likely path to the postseason the last couple weeks of the season. That'd be a good year for Texas. That'd be a step forward. They've got a lot of really good prospects knocking on the door. One of their best prospects, maybe their best prospect, Josh Young, might not make it back until September, coming off of a major shoulder injury. He was supposed to be up last year had a foot injury so it's just been a rough kind of two-year stretch for him but they've got a lot of young talent in this system 
knocking on the door, not quite ready now, not quite ready to go all in for a playoff run this season. And I don't think they're going to look at what they're building as a front office and say, we're getting rentals. We're going all in for 2022. I think if they make moves between now and July 31st, it is in more of that multi-year view. It's getting players with control beyond the end of this season because they're going to want to try and, and fix some of their holes along the way and, and maybe hang around. Maybe they can hang around and be the last wild card team. That's probably the absolute best case scenario. You got a couple of stars that you brought in free agency with Corey Seager and Marcus Semien. And Marcus Semien is hitting a lot more now in the last four weeks or so than he did throughout the first six weeks of the season. I'm starting to see some signs from Nathaniel Lowe that he's maybe getting to more of that power that we were hoping to see from him. You have to wonder, too, they brought in Donnie Ecker from San Francisco. How long does it take for a new group of hitting coaches to really get their philosophy through to a group of hitters, especially when we're talking about a truncated spring training where you didn't have nearly the same runway to prepare for the season that you ordinarily would. Like, it, it would not surprise me if this offense keeps taking steps forward. They brought up Ezekiel Duran. Looks like a really nice infield mm -hmm. piece. They got him the Joey Gallo trade last summer. A couple of veterans kind of sprinkled in. And then there's Adelise Garcia, a player that I'm probably as wrong about as any player I've been wrong about in the past year. He looks like an above average regular. He's a good defender in the outfield, can actually play a good center field, big arm, can play right field. He's already 29. I guess the question for me with Garcia is he the kind of player that they would actually be trading to get more long-term pieces, even though they have control and would have him for a few seasons. I wonder if they view him as the kind of player that has a, a reasonably short window to play at this level where he's a three to four war player. Yeah, it's a good question. And I agree with you. They're not, this isn't the year to go all in and, and add the rentals. And they've certainly benefited from a couple of things, right? The angels collapse has given them, has like kind of boosted them in the, in the AL West. And really, I don't think anybody saw quite a dramatic decline from grace the way the angels have had. Uh, and that certainly has helped them. Um, I think when you look at this team, you look at the young guys and you, you, you often wonder And Kansas city is a great example of, I thought they would be better. The young guys just haven't been ready yet. And in Texas, you've seen them bring up a lot of young guys. And, you know, the question is like, are they big leaguers right now? Like is Duran a big leaguer right now is Jesus Tinoco who's another like 26 year old, uh, well thought of prospect. Are they big leaguers? Um, you know, you're going to see that. I think this year you're going to at least let these guys get their feet wet and see what they can do. Um, but what's interesting about the Angels is, or about the Rangers is, they're they're looking up at the Astros, who have just totally dominated that division, and they continue to dominate that division. And everybody thought that maybe they'd start to slow down. But it turns out that Jeremy Pena, who went on the, the injured list Wednesday with a, a thumb issue, is just as good as advertised, if not better. He's the best defensive shortstop by war, and it's not even close. So you're looking at it as how do we compete with them, right? And they don't do that this year. They're still another year or two away in my book. We know the pitching is something they have to fix. They actively tried to get guys like Clayton Kershaw um, to kind of address that issue. But I do think having a solid season this year is going to make them more attractive to free agents this winter. They're going to be more of a destination than they were a year ago. And I think that's a good thing. You're building kind of that culture um, to be like, hey, we're going to be good here again. We're going to be the Texas Rangers of like the 2009, 2010, you know, that little dynasty they had where they never quite won the World Series, but they were always kind of hanging around. I think that's what you're looking at building toward 
And they've done a really good job in kind of setting up this building block, which is this season. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's a good group of young pitchers making their way through the upper levels of the minor leagues. Jack Leiter, who, of course, they drafted early a year ago. Cole Wynn, close to being big league ready. You look at those two guys alone, that's a big boost eventually. And Owen White, who's actually a high A right now, could move really fast. The Rangers, if I remember correctly, they were the team that pretty consistently, in the eyes of scouts, had the best overall group of prospects in the Arizona Fall League last year. And the fall league is kind of a finishing school for prospects where you're talking about guys that are usually within a, a year or a season and a half from, from making a big league impact. So we're going to start to see more of those names. It's a pretty good deep system too. Uh, Josh Smith, another one of the infielders that debuted recently, got hurt pretty soon after his call-up. He looks like he could be at least a big league regular and above average sort of bat. So lots of help coming. And if they get to the point this winter where they want to go out and make one more big move, they've got enough young talent to actually put a package together and make a run at players on the trade market, too. So I think that's the other part that makes this team more interesting in the long run. Just probably a better watch than people realize. Also, a team that has a sneaky good bullpen. They're among the teams Mm -hmm. that uh, are in the top 10 in terms of bullpen ERA. I know it's not the world's best stat or the only stat to look at, but you just don't associate the Rangers as a team that has this group of relievers that you actually not want to face. So they could move a couple of relievers to contenders and get long-term pieces that way. Maybe Martin Perez, who's been excellent this year, he's on a a contender and brings back a prospect. There's a a few ways this could actually uh, lead to a few more young players coming into the organization too, with a few of the success stories they've had. And the Angels, you know, I'm I'm glad they kind of came up in passing. The Phillies kind of caught that lightning in a bottle after letting Joe Girardi go. I never expect that because I don't think a manager can generally be so bad that a team just wakes up the next day after the manager is fired and everyone feels better and starts playing better. I think that's yeah. just fortunate timing. It really it looks like the looks like the team made the decision at just the right time. And I think that's more just luck. I think what's happening with the Angels is just more typical of making that change. It doesn't all fall on Joe Girardi. It doesn't all fall on Joe Madden. And the Angels are a good reminder of that. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why, like, are the White Sox any better if they fire Tony LaRusso, whether you think it's the right move or not? Hiring an interim, it doesn't make them any better, right? All it does is kind of create a little bit of a mini circus, which is why you've seen up until this year, teams really not do it because the manager role has been so undervalued that teams haven't really thought that it would make that much of a difference. So, um, you know, if you hire, I mean, who's the bench coach in Chicago? I don't even know. That would probably be the guy you would hire as an interim. And does it make that big of a difference or does just getting guys off the IL make a difference? Because this was a very good team last year. This was a playoff team last year with Tony LaRusa at the helm. I think Joe McEwing is a name that's been on the coaching staff for a long time. He's the third base coach now. And I've just seen he had a, a shouting match with Lance Lynn on Monday. So that <laughs> might not be the the solution internally <laughs> either in terms of just, I think in this case, it's just calming things down, right? It's just yeah. saying, hey, Tony's stuff is, is becoming a distraction and a problem. And it's it's causing us to have this sort of negative cloud over us. We just want to make the cloud go away. Yeah. Okay. You have to have that next option that people do rally behind internally. I don't know if the White Sox have that coach already on staff or not. Let's get to a a new segment. It's not a new segment. It's a segment I'm bringing back. Uh, I think in the past, we've called it three strikes. I'm not going to call it that. I'm going to call it fun with numbers because uh, I like numbers a lot. And what we're going to do, we're going to take a one-year leaderboard because I think sometimes we get kind of caught up in the first half of a season 
and we think everything that's happened in the first two and a half months, well, that's just who these players are. And I think going to a rolling one-year leaderboard can give us a better perspective of how well someone is playing over a larger period of time. So what I'm going to do, Britt does not have the leaderboard in front of her. Mm -mm. I have the leaderboard pulled up right now. And what I'm looking for, Britt, I am looking for players who have hit 40 or more home runs in the past calendar year. So we're recording this on June 15th. So June 15th, 2021 through today, start a play today on June 15th, 2022. There are, there are seven players that have hit 40 or more home runs in the past calendar year. And I'm going to set this up where you have, you get three strikes before the game stops. So three incorrect answers ends the game and you can begin guessing whenever you're ready. Okay. Uh, Aaron judge. Yep, he's number one. He's got 48. Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper is tied for third with 42. Juan Soto. He is a near miss. Strike one, 34. Ooh. Okay. Uh, let's see. This is the whole, this is ALNNL, right? Yep, both leagues. Giancarlo Stanton. Narrow miss, 36. Strike two. Gosh, if this was 30 and up, we'd be all over this. <laughs> um, 40 over the last... Full calendar year? Full calendar year, yep. See, there's guys in my head who, like, I know I've gone on big tears. There's one guy that you would definitely expect to be on this list because you think home runs, and he's one of the first names that pops into my head. If you think home runs in the last three years, this guy hits a boatload of them in, in any context. Hits them all the time. I'm scared to be wrong again. <laughs> <laughs> Tatis has been hurt. That's a big part of it. It's just staying healthy. Yeah, like, has Trout stayed healthy long enough over the past calendar year? Exactly. Nope. So that's why I didn't want to guess him. Uh, who else is just, like, a big basher? This is hard. I have I have guys in my head who I think are 30s. We got one more in the NL East. First place team. Hits a ton of home runs. All the time. Sub 20% K rate while doing it, too, which is the surprising part. Is it, is it, not, is it Friedman? No, nah, Pete Alonso. Oh, how did I miss Pete Alonso? The guy won the home run derby the it's last all the two time. years. Okay. You're right. You're right. Shohei Otani is still sitting up there. Uh, I thought Otani was going to be like a 38er. Who else is in it? Jordan Alvarez. He's got 41 during that span, which... That guy yeah. doesn't get enough credit. I don't think he does either in the broader baseball conversation. I think he gets appropriate recognition in Houston and in fantasy baseball circles. I think those are the two places where... Jordan Alvarez is fully appreciated, but he has been, since breaking into the league, about as good of a hitter as anybody in baseball. Yes. He's yes. in that stratosphere as a hitter. But he doesn't ever come up when you talk about the best five to seven hitters. Yeah, which is weird because he, by numbers, clearly is. Yeah. Yes. Uh, the guy after him comes up all the time. Uh, he belongs there. As one of the best hitters? Yep. In the 40? We got one more still? He's down a little bit this year. Yeah, you got actually two more. This guy's down a little bit this year compared to last year, but the expectations were off the charts high after last season. I can't believe Soto's not in there. He was an MVP. Well, he had a really slow start to this year, and that probably hurt him. Yeah. Um, I'm terrible in these game show formats. Vlad Jr. Oh, Vlad 41. Jr. Same number as Jordan Alvarez. And then Vlad Jr. the one that you could have given me you know, five to six strikes, and I still probably wouldn't have got, is Salvador Perez. He's still sitting there with 41 home runs over the past calendar year. And that's with some missed time and a really sluggish start to, to his 2022 season. It's so interesting. 
a few near misses on this. Paul Goldschmidt, who has just been unbelievable this year, sitting at 39. Jose Ramirez, 38. Rafael Devers, 38. Austin Riley sitting there at 37. Marcus Simeon, despite the really slow start to his season, 36 homers in his last past calendar year. Doing with the 241, 310, 474 line. So really odd mm. shape. And then the other really surprising player, CJ Crone is on here. He's hitting 293 with a 364 OBP, a 563 slug, 36 home runs in wow. the past calendar year, which, yeah, he's doing it in Colorado, but that's still really impressive. Yeah, Goldschmidt to me was another guy I was going to guess, but I'm like, oh, he strikes me as a 35er. Um, it's such a fringy guess. What, like, where's Stanton on here? 38? Is that 36? What you said? Yeah, he's 36. Up yeah. There. There's so many guys that, like, I was like, oh, does he have 40 though? 40 is a lot. Like Manny Machado had has had a great year this year, but he didn't really play that well last year, right? So it's a it's very interesting to think about it in terms of this past calendar year because you're right. All we want to do is associate. All I was doing was associating it with guys we're mashing now, um, and not kind of over that long term. Yeah, it just softens the recency bias a little bit, which I, I think yeah. is it's easy. I get caught up in that all the time, looking at players from kind of a, a fantasy perspective, especially. The uh, the name that I want to talk about with you a bit is John Carlos Stanton. I never thought this was possible, but has John Carlos Stanton gone from guy who was frustratingly hurt all the time and subsequently in the eyes of some an overrated player? Has he become underrated? Do people just kind of look right past who he still is as a hitter? I think so. He kind of seems lost in the shuffle somehow in an amazing Yankees lineup. Just, just doing his job, just being healthy. Played 139 games last year, so he's not. Yeah, he's not going to give you 155 or 160 games. It's a short list of players that even do that anyway. But he's on pace to play about 140, 150 games again this year. Numbers are almost identical to last season, and he's still really dangerous. I mean, I think every time they put up a a stat cast leaderboard, like hard hit balls barrels, oh. max exit velos, distances. Stanton's always there. He he yeah. is that guy. He's he's that player still. So how, how has this happened? How has Giancarlo Stanton become an underrated player? Now, I'm so glad you brought that up because I, I think that too. I think a couple things. One, this has become Aaron Judge's Yankees team, right? Like this has become Judge's team. And, you know, there's a lot of, of talk now because Judge is going to arbitration and, um, you know, he's going to hit that free agent market and he, you know, God knows what he's going to get because he gambled on himself, turned down the Yankees offer, and now has played himself into a much bigger contract. Um, but I think he is overshadowed to some extent. I think there were these monster expectations on him. And then, as you mentioned, he had those down years. He couldn't stay healthy. And that has still, like, followed him around. I hear people say all the time, like, oh, well, Stanton's injury prone. And, well, he played a lot last season. And he's playing a lot this year so far. So can he – I don't know if you can ever really shed that label, but can we at least say that, like, this guy has shown no signs of slowing down in terms of bat speed and how hard he's hitting balls. And, you know, you see hitters as they get older and that stuff goes, right? And we haven't seen that go on Stanton. So – it, it is really interesting to say someone is underrated in New York, but you never hear about the guy. He doesn't speak much to the media. You know, they've got great storylines there. Nestor Cortez and, you know, uh, you know, obviously Garrett Cole is always going to be a story. And I just think, you know, he's kind of gotten lost in the shuffle to some extent. And maybe that's been good for him. 
right? Like maybe when we were talking about him and he was in the spotlight, there was a little bit of that. Can he handle New York when he came to the Yankees, when he didn't play well, like this isn't Miami anymore. There was a lot of, of, of that in the media. There was a lot of sense of that in the organization. And I don't think you're seeing that anymore. So maybe it's better that we don't talk about Giancarlo Stanton for Giancarlo Stanton's sake. Yeah. I mean, his first season with the Yankees, he was 28% better than a league average hitter. And yeah, that was a, a step down from what he did when he popped the 59 homers with the Marlins the year before that. But 28% better than league average is a very good player. It's usually an all-star caliber player. And he's been better in the year since, even though there were injuries. And we played 18 games back in 2019. So he missed the year of the rabbit ball. That was a year he probably would have hit 50 home runs in Yankee Stadium with that ball. Maybe 60 because he hit 59 a couple of years before that. Pandemic shortened year, only played 23 games out of 60. So that gets held against him too. And it looks... It looks so much worse on a Fangraphs page or on the back of a baseball card, but it's 23 out of 60, right? If it were 85 out of 162, it would still look bad, but it wouldn't look as bad as a 23 looks in that column. I just think the flaws that he has, yes, he's not a great defender and he's a below average base runner, but he's such a fun player because he hits missiles. It's just remarkable to me that the the narrative has flipped around to the point where now I think he, he's under the radar in part because of, of judge uh, and just in part because maybe there was John Carlos Stanton fatigue. This, this type of player just doesn't get the, the recognition he deserves. Again, those one year leaderboards, they're a lot of fun. They just give you a better idea of what's really happening over a longer span of time. And you realize, Oh yeah, John Carlos Stanton's been healthy and he still hits when he's healthy. And he's one of the many reasons why the Yankees have currently the best lineup in baseball. One last question to get for you, Britt. This one could be a quick flyby if we want it to be. Who's actually taking the bronze medal in the NL Central, right? Cardinals, Brewers, Brewers, Cardinals. I think that's the consensus top two in whatever order you might like them. But out of the Cubs, the Pirates, and the Reds, the end of the season when the dust clears, who's actually taking third in that division? It should be the Cubs who are just kind of a a mediocre team, right? Exactly. I know, but you know what? I did see them last week and they came to Baltimore and there, I was talking to people in the front office and there are some stats that suggest that they should be a little bit better than they are record wise. So that gives you a little hope. And then you watch them play though. And you're like, this team is not good. This is a very solidly mediocre team. And I would really struggle to put them third here, DVR, except the, the options below it, like, am I going to pick the Reds or the Pirates? I don't I don't know. I mean, the Reds have, have, I think, done what nobody thought, which is bounced back after just a horrific start to the season. But, you know, that team is, has been stripped. That team is just not made to win right now. And the Pirates are still in this uh, perennial rebuild, and they haven't really shown a whole lot of signs of kind of all of a sudden being a competitive team. But this is the NL Central, so I guess this could very easily be a well under 500 team in third place. So I'm going to go with the Cubs just because I think on paper they should be the third place team. I don't know if they're going to play to that as well. But, God, this is just a a really interesting question. We should do this more. Like, who's going to place fourth in this division? Because it's so much (laughs) tougher than picking who's going to win. Uh, Right? These teams are all just like, meh. I think the Reds have more things I like on their big league roster right now than the Cubs. I think the Cubs are going to move some players. I mean, I think David Robertson, the great reliever, is going somewhere. He's among the many relievers that will be traded, right? Part of it with the Reds, Votto's healthy now, and he looks like himself. Jonathan India is finally back. 
Tommy Pham might get moved to a contender. He might not, though. Tommy Pham might just be there all season. Brandon Drury has been a good story. I like Tyler Stevenson a lot as a young catcher. They're probably stuck with Mike Moustakis. It wouldn't surprise me if Moustakis just popped 15 home runs in the second half with the playing time in the ballpark. So I think they're going to be one of those kind of pain-in-the-butt teams for everybody else in the NL over the course of the second half because it's tough to play in that ballpark. Ball flies out of there. We're in the gross hot part of the season now where it's 80, 85, 90 degrees at game time most nights. So I think that also makes it even worse having to go into Cincinnati. So top to bottom, the lineup's not bad. The young pitching especially, they're going to get Nick Lodolo back. Hunter Green looks like he's taking some strides. I could see them being a little better with some of their young pitchers in the second half as well, even if they take Tyler Malley and trade him to a contender. So I, there's there's enough here where I could kind of see it. I think the Reds' longer-term future is very difficult to figure out compared to the Cubs, who we know will will spend when they have the opportunity and got a nice influx of young talent at the trade deadline last season. And even the Pirates, who have been drafting early and rebuilding and rebuilding and rebuilding, I think their longer-term trajectory is better than Cincinnati's as well. But I like the Reds as the team that ends up finishing third in the NL Central this year. And I feel like the I like the Reds part of that's going to get cut out and just turned into some kind of meme or something. And I, I'm really not looking forward to that. That's amazing. I can't wait to tell Eno that you actually said I like the Reds in a sentence. Um, mm-hmm. So, Eno, by the way, on the IL this week. Uh, <laughs> IL undisclosed, but uh, tweeting a yes. little. Yes. Tweeting a little, uh, you know, you know what? He goes to an island and gets sick. I'd feel bad for him, except he was just in Hawaii. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like he's feeling <laughs> yeah. a lot better. So hopefully we'll have him back on the pod by this time next week, maybe even for rates and barrels on Thursday. But uh, we need to go uh, before we go. I should let everyone know you can get a subscription to The Athletic for just a dollar a month for the first six months at theathletic.com slash baseball show. You can find Britt on Twitter at Britt underscore Droli. You can find me at at Derek Van Riper. The Athletic Baseball Show returns on Friday. 